and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. <laughs> Everyone's like, what's AJ laughing at? We need to get the visual going because Gavin did a perfect classic dubbed kung fu movie thing where he moved his mouth first and said it and kept moving his mouth. Very well done, my friend. Thank you. I'm doing my best. <laughs> and because the way we have it set up in my computer screen's a little far away, it actually looks like you're being dubbed by another Gavin. The, the multiverse is going on. Uh, so how are you doing? I'm good. I'm just, uh, it's Friday. We're recording. Uh, I'm done with everything for the day, aside from a lot of homework. So I got to get on that after this uh, that I didn't even realize I had uh, until like yesterday. So I'm going back to school to get my uh, community college teaching uh, certification. Once again, they don't do credentials anymore. It's just a certification. So uh, I start that course technically tomorrow is my first class, but they assigned a crap ton of homework when it, the class opened up like two days ago uh, and I'm like, oh my. So last night was a lot of that. I'll finish uh, a lot of that tonight and then tomorrow it's all due Sunday at like 11.59 p.m. So otherwise, I've had a great week, just been training a lot, uh, getting back into the groove of full-time training in terms of uh, not just my conditioning, but Muay Thai and kickboxing. So I love it. Uh, it's exhausting, but it's what I love to do. I love the martial arts. I love to be training. I love to make this final run of, you know, doing hard Muay Thai style training, hopefully get in some big competitions this year. Not hopefully, I will be getting in some big uh, competitions over the next year or so. And then uh, moving on from there in terms of uh, my martial arts journey and maybe focusing on doing some more uh, fun stuff. But uh, yeah, it's good. But you know, it's definitely when, when you start training again and I take it so seriously. And once again, it's, it's, you're, you're not playing around, right? It's not, you're, you're stepping in the ring and you're training hard and people are trying to take your head off, brah. This ain't no game. This, ain't this no is real life. This is the, this is the real deal, holy field. So uh, otherwise, though, I can't complain. That's great. Uh, yeah, I love that I'm I'm in this course now. You know, uh, being a community college teacher is what I set out to do. It's why I went and got my master's. Uh, obviously, the pandemic put a huge hold on everything, but I'm working my way back in because I'm working my way back, back to, to you, girl. So the question is, which version automatically comes into your head? The Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons or the Spinners? I think I was doing the Spinners version, yes, as good. people could tell from my harmonizing. Same with me. Don't get me wrong. I love Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, but that's one of those remakes that I think is better by the Spinners. But anywho, life's good. I can't complain. We're talking about an amazing movie today. I got to do a bunch of research, which I love to do. Uh, as I was just mentioning to Gavin before we started recording, I watched the movie technically like three or four times with different audio commentaries Very and everything. Nice. Yeah, just trying to... You know, get get some inside information, and it's a lot. It's a lot to try to retain all of that information, but hopefully, some of it will come out, and we can share in our analysis of the film. But how are you, good sir? I, I'm I'm doing quite well. Uh, a little tickle in my throat. Uh, might have to clear it every now and then, but I think uh, I think by by the time we're recording, uh, the coughing has subsided. Excellent news. Yeah, I have just a, you know what? So I normally will have some coffee because I'm pretty tired by this point Friday afternoon. I had a little left over in the pot from this morning and I thought, oh, cool. I'm just going to heat it up. You know, morning coffee is never good by the afternoon when it's just been sitting in the pot because I heat it up and I'm like, this is not usually I enjoy my cup of coffee as we're recording this. And I just drink my coffee black. So I don't put anything in it. I don't put any sugar. I don't put any creamer unless maybe sometimes on Sunday I'll put a little bit of creamer or if we're out at a diner, I might, you know, but uh, yeah, it is not good. <laughs> well, I, I will say that uh, you, it sounds like you have the, the, the makings of a first chapter for a self-help book. Oh, nice. I like Morning it. coffee reheated in the afternoon doesn't work that's right that's right uh luckily it was only like a third of a cup left i thought oh yeah that'll get me through it i don't need that much but i'm disappointed in it i'm disappointed well i i i've got uh i've got myself some very nice water over here yes you do you've got yourself the specialty sea force water sea force chuck water. norris's water that's bottled from his land in texas so you if you actually go onto their website and this is all from my previous job when I was working in uh, marketing and digital media and stuff. You can, I, I did a lot of research <laughs> and it's, it's supposedly the water comes from their land and it's like this pure 
alkaline uh-huh. uh, water that like it, they do this whole little animated video that has something to do with the dinosaurs and like, you know, I don't know. But apparently it's like the purest, best water for you. And it comes directly from Chuck Norris's actual property. Who, who would have thought that of all the people in the world, he would be the one with the world's best water source? Oh, I would have. If you would have. Yeah. If we could build a time machine and go back in time, I'd probably answer Chuck Norris. And cool design. I like it. And uh, they're they're definitely nationwide now. Obviously, you have it. Yeah. So this isn't the first time you've drank it. So does it taste more pure to you. I would say it uh, It definitely tastes softer. So it definitely has a high alkaline, like a okay. 7.5 to 8 point something per the bottle, uh, for the information on the bottle. But no, seriously, it does taste softer. Uh, so it, it is a nice, nice drinkable water, really perfect for after uh, a workout or like a soccer game. This, this is definitely uh, what I go for. This is my second time drinking uh sea force water my first time was last week yeah there we go well i'm I'm glad i got to be a part of it both times well i'm the nerd who went into the to the grocery store and saw three sizes and i'm like must collect all and bought all three sizes there you go and eventually you'll get them autographed by chuck norris yes Uh, i'm going to send him the my recycled bottles and just ask him to autograph him and send it back. Nice. Nice. What yeah. if you opened up the package and then a fist just popped out and punched you in the face? Then I knew, then I would know it was the real deal. But then you look back in and all that's in there, it's nothing. The fist is gone. Oh, wow. that would be wow. very Chuck Norris-esque. Well, that's it, folks. Yep. That's our episode for today. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week. Anywho, uh, any martial arts news aside from Sea Force Water? I will. I will say. I, I, I've been because of the tickle in my throat. I've been resting uh-huh. and watching a lot of films, including oh. the film we watched today, as well as other old films, like kind of comfort films. Okay, and just kind of uh, bouncing back slow. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, you got to take your time. Got to treat your body well. You got to be smart. Uh, listen to your body, as I always say. You know, there's. We were talking briefly about this beforehand. There's a time where. You know, sometimes some people are just hardcore like, oh, I'm sick. I'm going to work out through. I'm going to sweat it out. Now, I am a believer in that depending on the level of how you're feeling. Sometimes it could be very beneficial, like to actually keep yourself moving. Exercise is like that level of a, a mild cold or even not even quite there yet where exercise and moving and keeping yourself going can actually help you. But then you also have to realize and listen to your body when it's past that point and not a good idea. And I think I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but I had an incident like that once in college where oh, plenty of times like, yeah, no, I've just gone to the gym and sweated out and it's been great for me. And one time I was just feeling miserable. I was like, no, I got to go to the gym. I always go to the gym. Uh-huh. Blah, blah. I get there. I get down on the bench. I do my first set of chest press and I put them down. I'm like, nope. And I got yep. up and left. And this is at a time where I would have, you know, I never took any sort of time off for the gym and I still don't, but I knew that I was not feeling well. Like it was yep. more like a flu and I just had to go home. Well, there you go. There you no, go. You're, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like there, there are times when, you know, like you can work your way through this because it's, it, I, I feel like if you, if you fall into it, it'll just kind of take, take over. But there are also times where you, you have to realize, oh, this is, this is the night where I, I need to try and get, you know, 10 hours sleep because that's how I'm going to emerge uh, stronger on the other side because you just feel it, you feel it coming on. Yeah. And especially when you're dedicated to your training and you don't want to seem like you're being lazy, whether it's to your teammates or classmates or your coach or your sensei or your sifu or your shifu or your guru or whoever, you know, Typically, people that know you the best will know that if you're taking time off, it's for a legitimate reason. So that being said, did you catch any relevant news that I don't think I did? Hit me with it. Oh, I didn't say I did. Oh, Oh, I thought maybe you had some relevant news. (laughs) Well, I guess the closest thing I have, and I just saw it today because it appears to have just dropped, maybe it was today (laughs) or recently, was the new trailer for uh, Ride On, the Jackie Chan movie. Ooh. And- Either I just completely misunderstood or the initial plot synopsis I read before was like completely wrong. But the trailer looks promising. But, you know, it's like with Jackie's recent output of films from the last decade or so, I never like to get my hopes up. And it's a well-edited trailer. And it looks like it does have some kind of classic Jackie type action in it. 
but I I just don't know if it's going to be a sustainable plot line for the entire film. Pretty much, it's it, he's like a former stuntman himself and martial artist, and he has a horse that apparently has special abilities. They find out whatever, and the, the horse becomes a big stunt like superstar or you know actor almost. And it's kind of like their journey together. And I think from what I originally read, it's also Jackie trying to reconcile with his daughter and she has a fiance now and that, and it's obviously going to have the element of comedy and some dramedy and action. So, you know what? I, I always try to stay optimistic, but it's really hard. It, it is, it is hard, but, uh, you know, maybe there won't be any CGI in it. Crickets. Crickets. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, like his, his films, his, Hong Kong or Chinese output of late has had a lot of CGI. And I know, yes, the foreigner had some stunt doubling, allegedly. Okay, it did. uh, Oh, it most certainly did. I I mean, I know. Yeah, when you watch it, I think at one point he's doubled by a Caucasian dude. I'm like, and I loved the foreigner, but I was like, what? Yeah, but I do. I really enjoyed the foreigner because it it had that element of feeling real again. Uh, So I sometimes do get uh, apprehensive over his. bigger Chinese releases right. at, at this point in time. But, you know, well, let's see. Let's see what happens with Ride On. Yeah, Ride On, my man. <laughs> Anywho, uh, let's segue into movie quotes. You have two yes, for me today. I do have two for you today. All right, sock them to me. The first one. Why is the girl not harvesting the coca? Delta Force 2? Yes. Oh, nice. Nice. I finally got the my Delta Force 2 one right. Uh, simply because you do a great Billy Drago. And I was yeah, like, oh. thank you. Yeah. And I, oh, wait, is that the scene where yeah. she's oh. pregnant and she's like, they're like working outside and he's like, why is she not working? Or is that a different scene? No, that that's, that's the scene where, yeah. where, where they're driving by. Stop the car. Yeah. Why is the girl not harvesting the coca? <laughs> I wonder how Billy Drago was in real life. Like, do you think, I know. Do you think he was like that in real life? Or do you think, what if he just like, y- you got to meet him and he was like, hi, I'm Billy Drago. And like, I know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. But he he's played some memorable characters in some memorable films and not so memorable films. Well, for me, one of my all-time favorite movies that I, I haven't watched in forever, simply because I've been saving it for a special occasion, but- is uh, and it's a non-martial arts one is the untouchables oh and wow he's yes. so good in that he and that was fantastic. my first time seeing him so i saw him relatively young when i got to watch that movie for the first time and he was just so creepy and then later when i started watching more uh kind of straight to video martial arts movies and stuff and i got to start seeing him a lot more and i was like oh snap this guy is just he's made to be a villain whether it's a uh, mainstream Hollywood Brian De Palma picture like The Untouchables, uh, straight to video Lady Dragon 2, or a Michael Jackson music video with Chris Tucker and Marlon Brando. I know. I was actually going to pull a quote from uh, Billy Drago from that video, and then I'm like, no, nah, I'll pull it from a martial art film. There you go. That's, that's smart. Otherwise, I yeah. probably would have never gotten it. Actually, what if I did get it? Hey, I, think, I think the line I was going to, I was going to pull is, you want to die? <laughs> yeah, probably not. The, you rock my world. Come on. <laughs> okay, next one. Okay, next one. Your enemy is here, and the enemy is fear. Hmm. I imagine it's something kind of more sports related or mm-hmm. within the martial arts. Maybe not. Your enemy is here, and your enemy is fear. They're going deep. They're maybe doing some kind of smoke lodge, going deep into oh. nightmares. Best of the best two? Oh, no. Okay. No. Uh, then Walker? Yes. Okay. There so you I was go. like, there's only two things I could think of that have smoke, like martial arts movie related. One being yeah. best of the best two when there's that sudden subplot of Tommy was raised by Native Americans. Uh, or, obviously, Walker, Texas Ranger. Walker, Texas Ranger from uh, from season six. Lucas episode part two. Oh, wait, so this is the second time you've quoted the Lucas episodes? No, Lucas has two episodes, part one and part two. I know that. That's why I said the Lucas episodes. Episodes, yes. Episodes part two, White Eagle. And they're talking about fear. It's such a great, if you think about it, it is a really great quote. Oh, yeah. 
Your enemy is fear. Your enemy is fear. There we go. I like it. Okay. So, good quotes. I, the first one was definitely easy. The second one was a little bit harder. So, I well, can dig go. it. I can dig it. So, are we ready to start talking about the movie we're talking about today? Yes, the the sequel to the Joel Edgerton film. That is correct. (laughs) That was made, excuse me, 30 or 40 years beforehand. So anywho, in all seriousness, today we are talking about the Golden Harvest Classic, directed by Sam O'Hung, written by Sam O'Hung, and starring Casanova Wong, Mm -hmm. Sam O'Hung, Brian Leung, a.k.a. Leung Karyan, a.k.a. Leung Ren a.k.a. Beardy, the Wing Chun Epic Warriors 2. Warriors 2. It right. also features uh, my favorite performance by Fung Hak On. Yeah, so we'll definitely get uh, yeah. talking about him as the, the lead villain, one of the classic villains of Hong Kong cinema. So once again, this film was released at the very end of 1978, according to Wikipedia, December 28, 1978. And in the research I did and we'll discuss, it was shot over what I've gathered at least a year. You know, people's memories can be fickle. Is that a good word? Yeah. Like uh, unreliable, yeah. Uh, inconsistent. So, you, you know, you'll be watching an interview with multiple people that were involved in the film. And sometimes they'll not only contradict each other, they'll contradict themselves of what they already said earlier in the interview. So what I, from what I've gathered, the film was shot for at least a year. Like one person said, oh, it was like a year and a half. So at least a year. So, you know, probably went into production uh, in 1977 at some point and then it just took a long time to shoot due to multiple shooting locations but this film is one of it floats around and rotates back and forth from my top spot as my all-time favorite kung fu movie and i feel rightfully so it is an absolutely incredible picture it is very dynamic it has a lot of cool elements that almost make it feel like a comic book come to life through some of the characters the sets Mm -hmm the extravagant action that is featured throughout the performances of our cast, both the good guys and the bad guys. And it's just one of those ones that like a fine wine gets better with age. And now that we have the remastered Eureka version, it's just a beautiful copy to watch. And we had thought about, we, I said to Gavin last week, let's do Kung Fu. Let's do a Kung Fu movie. And he threw this one out there and I was a little intimidated simply because once again, neither of us are Kung Fu practitioners. We, you know, we love Kung Fu. We love Chinese martial arts. We take it all very seriously. And also neither of us are, excuse me, are Wing Chun practitioners. I did do Wing Chun for a little over a year when uh, in my high school years. Yeah. And I I think I did like a, a nine month stint in my first year of college. So we, we have, you have a, like a few months more experience. Yeah. But, right. But we are by, by no means Wing Chun experts. And there's a lot yeah. of history slash politics that go into Wing Chun. But pretty much this is a fictionalized story mm-hmm. of uh, Cashier Hua, a.k.a. Chan Hua Shun, who was the, what would be the Gong of Yip Man, meaning Yip Man's master's master if I'm not mistaken. And it's technically what would be the sequel to Prodigal Son, even though Prodigal Son came out a couple years after this. But that film is about uh, the Liang uh, John character. Oh, no, excuse me. Sorry. Liang John is the Seagong of Yip Man. Chan Hua Shun is the... Or wait, hold on. I'm sorry, Wing Chun people. They're all like, this nerd can't keep up with our lineage. <laughs> okay, hold on. Leung How John. many times did you watch the movie? Yeah. Watch it again. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. So Chan Hua Shun is, uh, was the instructor of Yip Man before he died briefly. Uh, and then Leung John is his instructor. So this film focuses on an old Leung John as the master. But Prodigal Son is about a young Leung John learning from Leung Tai. So this mm-hmm. is like they did them technically kind of out of order. So... Sorry to all my Wing Chun peeps it, for it, briefly messing up there, getting myself confused. Lineages within 
Kung Fu. It's really cool with a lot of Chinese history and stuff because the documentation they do have. But then, geez Louise, trying to go back that far and, you know, keep track of everything. It, it can be uh, a little overwhelming. Well, you, you know, it's it's interesting that uh, the film is, you know, story wise, at least or legend legend wise linked to prodigal son. But I can't imagine prodigal son being shot before this and Samuel being able to really come through with the vision that prodigal son is. Uh, but that being said, like if Samuel had only ever directed warriors Two, I think the world would be clamoring for more because this is, this is really such a fine film. It, it's of a lot of the, the Kung Fu or Gung Fu, Gung Fu films that came out in the late seventies. So many tried to find that balance between, uh, comedy, action, uh, like you were saying, characters out of a comic book in a way, or even, uh, just the balance of, of, uh, you know, the, the backstabbing that exists or the, the twists and turns that come out. This film, I think, is almost pure perfection in how it balances every single element. Yes, very well put. And it's actually kind of one of the reasons why, and don't get me wrong, I love Prodigal Son, but one of the reasons why I actually prefer this film because we don't need to go into details. Everyone talks about it. Everyone knows Samuel Hung's the best person to ever capture Wing Chun on film. This yeah. would have been his first like big straight Wing Chun movie, but it had a, a awesome blend still of a bunch of different kind of kung fu. Now, Prodigal mm-hmm. Son, of course, still has other martial artists in there like Frankie Chan using other styles, but it's very much just a straight Wing Chun style. For cinematic Wing Chun, I should say. And it's brilliant and amazing, but I feel like this one gives us a lot more uh, creativity and imagination simply because our lead actor, Casanova Wong, playing the Chen Shun cashier Hua character, at the beginning, they give a little side note, like he was already a Kung Fu expert that had studied like, you know, leg kicking stuff. But in real uh-huh. life, obviously, Casanova Wong was a Taekwondo expert. And talk about a bold move, casting a Taekwondo expert as one of the key figures in the lineage of Wing Chun. Uh, and thank and thank goodness he he got he was cast in this yeah, role. Because Samo Samo knows what he's doing, man. But that being said, it gives us, especially once his character does learn Wing Chun, I think he does a pretty great job displaying the Wing Chun, but he also still gets to do some amazing kicking and we'll get to it eventually. But the finale, oh my God. Oh. Like I can watch it every day and not get bored. It's just so incredible. But briefly, so real quick, back to the story. It focuses on Cashier Hua, who's already uh, a martial arts stuff. He stumbles upon a conspiracy to kill the mayor pretty much and in the process the gang tries to kill him he's saved by his friend who's played by Samo uh Samo plays uh Ki Twen uh this is his character's name and he saves him brings him back to his master who is uh Liang John the Wing Chun master the bone setter uh they end up murdering Cashier Hua's mom trying to get to him and eventually Liang John reluctantly, he's kind of tricked into it, takes on Kashiwa as a student and teaches him the Wing Chun system. And eventually, mm-hmm. he not only, spoiler alert, has to avenge his mother, but also Liang John, who the gang manages to trick and they kill him. So in the end, he and Samo uh, have to team up more or less to bring down the gang. So, real quick, do you remember the first time you saw this film? To be honest, I think so. Yes. Okay. Uh, I I this is when I found that great DVD store in uh, Chinatown, sort of catty corner from Can- uh, not Cantor's catty corner from Philippe's. Okay. That sold legitimate DVDs and VCDs, uh-huh. and I was going down the VCD rabbit hole. I had never seen Warriors Two, and I was going you know the VCD rabbit hole Gordon Liu films. And Larkar, Larkar, uh, uh, Leung, Leung, yes, his films, just like a ton of them. And then I like look over on the wall and they're the DVDs, right? And I start going through them and that's where Warriors 2 popped out. Like instantly grabbed that film, went home, watched it. So I was living in Echo Park and I got to say, blew my mind. It was around the same time that I had seen, uh, The Odd Couple as well. Oh, uh, for nice. the first time. So it was like, 
Samo in the seventies had uh, the 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 pearly gates to the late seventies. Samo had opened up uh, right around this time, and I think this was the summer where my I think my wrist was broken, and so I was watching a ton of movies, and this came right into that that uh, library of mine. How about you? So you got lucky. Let's and I'd imagine it was probably the Fortune Star re-release with the newer dub that came out around 2010, maybe that you grabbed on DVD. Or does that sound about right around that time? It is definitely a Fortune Star. Okay. Uh, yes, I think it had to be Fortune Star. Yeah. So in that case, you're gonna rewind about 10 years before that. I'm uh, in okay. Chinatown, San okay. Francisco, as a kid, getting to take like maybe my one of my biannual trips there and I'm in one of the old school shops that they just don't have anymore and I'm going through the VCDs. Now, we've talked about VCDs before. Maybe some of our newer listeners may not even know what a VCD is. Uh, Video compact disc and what this was was VCDs pretty much came out around the same time as DVDs. They were a million times cheaper but also a million times uh, less... Uh, lesser in quality. Yeah. So, so if if you if you have a ninety minute movie, you get two discs. discs yeah. Half a movie's on one disc. The there's like sound. Com- you, if you put in well, both, yeah. yeah okay, I'll let you get to it. So uh, they're like CDs. There's two of them, as you mentioned. And I think this was uh, they were more popular in Asia because they could obviously be played on any computer. You didn't need a DVD drive, and so they were a lot cheaper. It was a lot easier to kind of maybe even mass produce them or even bootleg them. And so I get Warriors 2. I, you know, heard of this movie. I want to watch it. And I think this is the first one when I go to play it, it's the audio tracks would play simultaneously. So for example, if it had both Mandarin and Cantonese, the subtitles were always burned into these copies, like the old school Kung Fu movies. You would just have two different voices talking at once. You're like, what the hell's going on? And I finally discovered Uh you have to hit the audio button on your remote and you'd only have a single... Uh, yeah, you you track, either do the left track or right exactly, track. The left track or right track. So you so don't I, get surround sound for sure. You, you get you. Sorry, you definitely had a fancy DVD remote. I had like a real simple one where I had to unplug one quarter or the other. Oh, I had, the dang. first time I had VCD, I'm like, I needed to. I, I think I actually took it back to the store. I'm like, the audio is jacked up, and they're like, oh, unplug one cord, and they showed me in the store. I'm like, okay, yep. figured it out. So luckily, I figured out hitting the audio button and fix my problem but uh yeah so i watch it and but it was just such a grainy poor copy you could barely read the burden in subtitles and i just kind of forgot about it i watched it but like it just wasn't memorable because it was just that bad of a copy fast forward to like a decade later and i finally got that fortune star dvd of it uh-huh. and i was just like oh my gosh how did i not instantly loved this movie before but then i have to give myself you know a little leeway in the fact that it was just such a bad copy of it that i was watching i couldn't appreciate the nuances and the intensity of the fight scenes and the choreography and the performances and you literally just couldn't even see it anything clearly well you know as you said this is one of those films that gets finer with time like wine the truth is this film is a very good film from minute one to minute 89, 90, 91, whatever, whatever the runtime is. But I will tell you, I like, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to the choir now. I'm preaching to the nerd choir. Yeah. Once you get to that final minute, you realize how good the movie was. That's that. And it, it, so it's like, if you're watching it on VCD or on any like copied VHS tape or poor, like even that first watch through can, can maybe if, if, if the visuals aren't capturing what you need to have captured, because I, I did check out a few different versions online in preparation for this. If it doesn't capture, doesn't sit with you, uh, you might not realize how great a film it is because this film grows with each passing minute and it crescendos at the end. Uh, it just comes as a phenomenal peak at the end that makes that makes you want to go right back to the beginning right away, which is why I understand like AJ, like when we were talking this week, you were saying, Oh, I'm going to watch it now. I think that was Tuesday and you've watched it four times and this is Thursday. That's how good this film is. Like you, you just gain momentum after watching it each time. It's actually Friday, Gavin. Oh, is it now? Yes, it is. But, Uh uh, 
Yeah, no, and the thing is I wanted to, especially because the Eureka one has multiple audio tracks. Uh, and so the only one I got to listen to, and they also have a behind-the-scenes one they did years ago, probably for one of the UK uh, DVD lines at that time, like the Le- Hong Kong Legends or whatever. So there was a behind-the-scenes featurette. It's like 30 minutes long. I watched that whole thing where you get to see Sammo, Fung Harkon, uh, Guy Lai, who is the Wing Chun instructor for the st- uh, the cast for the film. Uh Beardy is on there, Leung Karyen, Brian Leung. And so that was very informative as well. But the only audio when I got to listen to all the way through was uh, with Frank Jang and Bobby Samuels, which uh, was really cool because it wasn't even as much information directly about that film, but a lot of Bobby Samuels time with Samo. So for people that don't know, Bobby Samuels was pretty much, uh, Samo's apprentice. He was, he's the only African-American to ever be in the Hong Kong stuntmen's association. He kind of came after the peak of Hong Kong, the golden era of Hong Kong cinema, as we talk about, like in the late eighties, early nineties. So he actually showed up as things were dying out, but he still had some prevalent roles in the early nineties to the mid nineties and lived with Samo Hung for over a year. He was kind of just like his, assistant slash apprentice slash did whatever he told him to. And so he has a ton of inside information about a lot of the key players in the film. So as they're talking, they, you know, he would stop and be like, oh yeah, well, let me tell you about what Samo told me about Lam Ching Ying and the time I met him or, oh uh-huh. yeah, you know, Samo always told me this about, uh, you know, uh, Lee Hoi Song or, oh yeah, the time I got to meet, uh, Dean Sheck or this or that, you know? And so it was really cool. You kind of get some inside information about it, the key players in this film. And it kind of opened up my eyes to a few things, but also just getting the chance to analyze it as I'm, you know, watching with the audio commentary, just kind of opened up my eyes to more and more recognizing more of the stunt players, etc. That's really cool. And it's funny because I, I know that the, the Eureka release is the, is the double feature release with warriors two and prodigal son. That is so correct. I, I, I haven't got this, this, I haven't purchased anything from them. Like, well, because ha- you don't have a Blu-ray player period, that's let right, alone. But I think, that's, I think this, is, this is the one that's going to inspire, you know, rewatching this, the, this film this week, you know, I have my old DVD, yeah. which, which is great, you know, which is fine. It does its job. Plus I was watching it on uh, a streamed version of it, which was hard to find. And, you know, it, I, I think kind of questionable how it was put online, but made me think, Hey, it's, it's time to, to take that little leap. Plus the Eureka one has the classic English dub. Oh, yeah. Which is so yeah, much no. better than the Fortune Star ones. I mean, and yes. as I, I always feel bad saying that because you could tell that they were trying, but just it wasn't the same. But also, I I did watch parts of it in Cantonese. But uh, once again, I'm a huge fan of the classic English dubs. I love the classic English dubs. They're, 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 they, you know, it might be nostalgia, uh, but they're just so much more fun to watch. I, I Honestly, to be candid, uh, I love hearing the original language version, even if sometimes I, I have to, you know, read subtitles and the subtitles fall off just because you can, you, you know, Samo is Samo and Dean Sheck is, De- you know, you, you hear the comedy of Dean Sheck come through. Well, also, I think for a lot of these, they obviously, obviously they're not burned in subtitles. They actually went through and I believe redid the subtitles for these new releases. And I oh, think that's great. I, if I'm not mistaken, Frank Jang actually plays a significant part in that. Uh, I'll ask him this Sunday. I'm actually meeting him for dinner in uh, the Bay Area. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I finally get to meet him in person. So uh, for people that don't know, I, I helped arrange some interviews, excuse me, for some of the behind the scenes features of, for, well, most specifically the writing wrongs. Mm-hmm. One with our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. I don't want to spoil the other ones. So, uh, yeah, no, we're going to meet I up. Think you, I think you already, you did once before, eh, whatever. but that's okay. Yeah, whatever. We but, it secret. Yeah, secret. Uh, but I'm going to Chinatown for uh, the New Year celebrations. I am unfortunately going to miss the parade tomorrow night, but it would just logistically, it would be hard for us to get up there for that. And then we'd have to find a place to stay. So we're just going to go to Sunday for the street fair and, you know, have a good time. Uh, but yeah, anywho, back to the film. So we've mentioned some of the keen players, obviously. You know, we said Sammo, Casanova Wong, Leon Karyen, Dean Sheck, Fung Hark An, uh, Lee Hoi Sung plays one of the main henchmen, uh, Tiger Yang, uh, who we just recently discussed about in uh, Tower of Death, a.k.a. Uh, Game of Death 2. Uh, yeah, all sorts of people. Once again, when you have Sammo making a movie, he's going to bring all the boys along, right? His stunt team, his guys. But uh, I think this one is 
really interesting. And obviously the choice of protagonists, we already mentioned, we've got Casanova Wong, uh, his Cantonese name with Kasafa. Uh, I, I want to say the preferred name he likes is Wong Ho, but Casanova Wong, you know, hey, that's that's a pretty badass English name. Now, he was a Taekwondo expert from Korea, obviously. He was in the Korean Marines, where he was also a Taekwondo instructor. I believe he won some championships. And Mm -hmm. for some of our listeners that maybe aren't as martial arts savvy uh, about the differences. So obviously, Taekwondo is a very powerful, very fluid kicking system. They predominantly use their legs, very high kicks, jumping kicks, flying kicks, spinning kicks, coming from all angles it takes extreme flexibility dexterity and classical authentic taekwondo very very incredible now wing chun is a martial arts system is known for primarily its upper body techniques it does Mm -hmm. have kicks but they're all below the waist and they are effective kicks but they are known for their short range attacks their rapid fire punches chain punches grabbing onto your opponent sticking onto them uh trapping their arms Uh, hitting them with close range punches, elbows, knees, trips, sweeps. So there couldn't be two styles of martial arts more different from one another. I mean, yeah, there could. But in this case, they are very different. So casting Casanova Wong as this character, it was a bold move. So I, I do have a question for you. When yeah. you do talk about the, the the differences between Wing Chun and Taekwondo, would you say, however, that of so many forms of martial arts that we see on film, these two are uh, are very camera friendly? No, I would actually Taekwondo. Yes, Wing yes. Chun. No. In so fact, how 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 do they how do you capture how do they so yeah please please go into that a little bit because. You know, so, Samuel has made such a great career out of incorporating it into his films. Well, Samo, yes. Now, Samo, as we like, as people said, is the best at capturing Wing Chun. He was the first one to really do it uh, super effectively. Now, there, I think there's not enough credit given before, like even uh, some of the Shaw brothers, mm-hmm. like uh, D Long or T Long. You know, he was a Wing Chun yeah. practitioner in real life. And there's in one of the Shaolin movies, he actually does a series of kind of. Uh, almost like Chi Sao trapping hand stuff that looked really good. Actually, Bobby Samuels talked about that in the audio commentary as well. But for the most part, yes, you don't, you hadn't seen a full fledged like Wing Chun movie that had done it well. Most of the time, it just didn't really look good on screen. Mm-hmm. Now, what Sammo did was he, you know, as I mentioned before, they had a technical advisor on this film, Guy Lai, who trained the principal cast for a couple months. Once again, conflicting information, even in the same a uh, special documentary feature. But from what I gathered, it was about like two months of really hardcore training. But Samo would still try to keep the techniques authentic, but add a cinematic flair to them, make them more pleasing to the camera, make them slightly bigger so they weren't as compact and uh, not as beautiful to uh, the viewer. That being said, you know, obviously we have Warrior 2s, we have Prodigal Son, and, you know, not tell Yip Man did we have like a hardcore, awesome Wing Chun film again. And even still, who did the fights for Yip Man 1 and 2? Sammo Hung. After yep. he left, I feel like the fights really went downhill. I mean, yes, we had the Wing Chun film in the early 90s that Yuen Ping did, but I just don't think it was the same. It just didn't have the same effect as Sammo's Wing Chun choreography. And now there's been a plethora. There's been way too many of these Yip Man films. They're coming out of the mainland. They're TV specials, this and that. And once again, the the fight scenes are all just kind of a ripoff of Sammo's style from the first two when they even managed to slightly succeed. So that being said, I think Wing Chun really isn't a, a visually necessarily visually pleasing style for the silver screen. Taekwondo, though. Mm-hmm. Yes, the kicking style. Now, in the early 70s, Samo, Jack, uh, you know, Samo, especially being at that point kind of one of the key players in Golden Harvest in the early era of Golden Harvest with uh, Raymond Chow. Raymond Chow appreciated the international, uh, I guess, so he, he understood bringing in outside talent from Hong Kong, unlike right. Shaw Brothers, which had a very strict like studio system. He appreciated international cinema, international talent, you know, cinematographers from Japan, uh, mm-hmm. actors and choreographers, obviously from Korea and 
you know, Samo, Angela Mao, and Jackie went to Korea to learn Hapkido, this martial art that could add a cool visual element that really maybe hadn't been seen on screen before. We look at this period in the early 70s. Before that, it was mostly the wuxia pictures, uh, peaking opera style action on top of that, traditional Chinese sword play. So the kicking style that we love in Hong Kong cinema, especially from like the hard hitting 80s era, like the Hong Kong kickboxing style. Those typically, those aren't usually Chinese Kung Fu kicks. Those are, if anything, more Korean style, like Hapkido, Taekwondo, you know, the the jump spinning heel kick, jump spinning wheel kick. And there was a lot of Korean players throughout the 70s and then the 80s. I mean, Bruce Lee, you know, had Wang and Sik and mm-hmm. Ji Hong Jae in his films, two Hapkido masters. And obviously Wang and Sik would go on to make a few more movies, you know, with uh, the young master with Jackie Chan, Dragon Lord with Jackie Chan. Uh, he did one with Billy uh, Chong. And then uh, obviously we have Huang Jing Li, the, the Taekwondo boot master of them all. Uh, Tan Tao Liang, Casanova Wong, even in this film, Tiger Yang, who plays one of the antagonists. And he has some great kicking scenes with Casanova Wong where they both get to display their amazing Taekwondo abilities. Once again, another Korean Taekwondo practitioner. So Taekwondo Yes, very significant to Hong Kong fight choreography, very visually pleasing. And also on top of that, when you have the skill set to do high-level Taekwondo, I feel like it's easier to learn any other style after that because what's the hardest thing? Lower body flexibility and Mm -hmm. balance and explosiveness typically. The upper body stuff can usually be taught a little bit easier. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be as good as someone else. But I feel like when you have that as a base style, just like Chinese wushu, you know, performance wushu, when you have that as a base style and or the Peking opera style, you can like learn anything. I mean, look how amazing of a kicker both Samo and Jackie became. And Yuen Biao trained specifically in Taekwondo under Flash Lakes Tan. And look how incredible of a kicker he became. Yep. Yeah. So no, I, I appreciate I appreciate you fielding that question because I know we we have spoken about uh, and I've really enjoyed when you've spoken about like how Samo in the Golden Harvest period kind of br- kind of uh, brought in the kickboxing element to that to to that era, but he also kind of you could see it early on, and I think as early on as Warriors Two, where you kind of see this uh, melding of styles. Obviously, you know, using a Taekwondo uh, practitioner in the lead role in a Wing Chun film, a film about Wing Chun, uh, you you see this blending of elements that Samuel seemed to again talking about the balance between the comedy and and the drama of the film. This is a, yet another area where he for me balance perfectly that exciting kicks kicking style that so many people flocked to Kung Fu movies to see while also uh, kind of again opening doors to to Wing Chun on film and I again you're correct it's been done it has there's a, there's history of it on film before but to capture it in a way that is so cinematically pleasing because as you pointed out it is not easy to capture oh not at all and even when you look at the performances of the actors in the film, I feel like of the main cast, the one who perhaps is the weakest would be Casanova Wong because Samo is just, you know, so good uh, in doing it. And the the surprise player would be uh, Leung Karyan, a.k.a. Brian Leung, who was uh-huh. not even a trained martial artist. That's the, the famous story everybody knows. He just was an incredible natural performer. And when he does Wing Chun on screen, it's just the way he moves. It's such a fluid, uh, almost kind of un-Wing Chun-like in the sense of the fluidity of his motion. Wing Chun is, you know, very straightforward. Obviously, you you fight at all angles, but that that's what makes it not as visually pleasing as like you don't go to a Kung Fu demonstration and watch someone do the Selim Tao form. It's very slow and Boring. And that's not me being offensive. I think any Wing Chun person will tell you that. But when Brian Lung on screen is doing the fight scenes, it's very much he's sticking strictly with like a Wing Chun style. Yet the the way he moves, the up and down of his body, the positioning, the angles, it's just... I know it's 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 so it's so interesting watching Beardy Brian Leung uh, in this film. Uh, this may have been one of the first films I have I had seen him in, yeah, or earliest in his in 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 my uh, you know in the timeline of his uh, filmography. Uh, and it's, I remember, yeah, 
I kind of remember being surprised by how good this guy, how good this guy was. You know, I had no reference point to him. Uh, you know, I had a reference point to the other, to the other practitioners, the other artists in this film and rewatching it, uh, two days ago. Uh, it, I had that same feeling again about, wow, he's just so clean. His performance is crisp and his acting is obviously completely uh, translates because it's completely believable, like as a perform as a martial artist and as a master, it's just sort of kind of a refreshing role to see, to see. Yeah. And the funny part is one of his best roles and he doesn't even have a beard. He had to shave it off and he has a fake mustache because he's the old master. But anybody that hasn't explored more of Beardy's work, go out and obviously, well, the victim is, you know, that's one that floats on my number one Kung Fu movie also. That's where he co-starred with Sammo. And we should mention this is another one of those roles where Sammo directs and he co-stars and he doesn't steal the show away from the protagonist, yet he steals the show just with how good he is but yet still lets the star shine. Like there's yes. nobody else that could do it like him uh, where it, all he does is help the movie with how incredible he is yet still makes the lead actor the best they've ever been. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's sort of, as you pointed out in our dragons forever episode, how he removed himself from the final fight uh, that happens. That happens. uh he, he basically, we know what he can do on camera. We do now, you know, in hindsight, we, you know, we can look over his career and say, oh, he could have been the lead in every single one of his films, but he knows when to remove himself to like lift up and like kind of uh, show us new choreography like Dragons Forever or when to insert himself and face Yunhua in Eastern Condors. You know, he, he just has this uh, great innate sense of what the audience needs to see and and which character needs to be the one that uh topples the final uh the final the in the finale yeah. the, against the against the antagonist right and so throughout the movie the character that Casanova Wong plays obviously transforms he starts off at the beginning very much a kicking dominant character he learns wing chun uh, eventually we get to the finale. So by this point, he has learned Wing Chun under Liang John. Liang John has been murdered by the bandits. So it is up to, and then the school gets stormed after that. So pretty much it's up to the uh, remaining three students who are played by Samo, uh, Casanova Wong, and then uh, their Kung Fu sister, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on her name right now because it wasn't actually even on the initial cast. Yeah, I apologize. I don't even uh, unfortunately know her name. What the heck? It's not even on the IMDb. I know, and uh, also in uh, or on Wikipedia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so that's why it wasn't on there yeah. either. So our apologies. They're kung fu sisters. So, but what happens is they they come up with a plan. There's the three henchmen. Who all have different styles. We have uh, Lee Hoi San who's playing Iron Fist and he has like the Iron Rogue body technique where uh-huh. nothing can hurt his body. No uh-huh. weapon can pierce it. He's got invincible skin pretty much. Then- and, 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 and we we learned pretty early on that he is invincible with some of the moves that Lao Kar Wing yes. pulls against him. We have a great kind of almost cameo by Lao Kar Wing uh, who has a great fight scene against them and even he can't beat them. So uh, then we also have Tiger Yang playing Thunder Pai, who's known for his kicks. He's an incredible uh-huh. kicker. He's and I love his outfit, uh, you know, his makeup and hair and stuff. Then we have Young Wai playing a character named Tiger, not to uh-huh. be confused with actor Tiger Young, who's a spear expert. So the whole point is Sammo uh, and Kasim Wong, they come with this plan. Okay, you're going to fight this guy because your skills can suit this, blah, blah. Long story short, Sammo messes up the names. So they end up uh-huh. having to fight the wrong people they're yes. planning to. So Cass, uh, excuse me, Sammo ends up fighting Tiger, the spear expert, as he's uh-huh. leaving a brothel. And this segues, uh, first of all, just an incredible fight. But then Sammo realizes he can't beat him out in the open and draws him into a bamboo forest. Now, typically, 
with Hong Kong films from this time or any films to light an extremely dark scene like this, it was either one or two things. They were going to film at the golden hour where you could tell like the sun's rising, not setting or just film like really early in the morning. And it's like, this isn't nighttime or no, they filmed this straight up in the dark and the lighting is incredible. Now, a lot of that comes with this remastered Blu-ray version too. It is the, the lighting is phenomenal. Like most dark scenes like that can't pull it off. So pretty much he brings him into the forest because a, he can't see. And throughout the film, they've been doing Wing Chun sensitivity training where they, you know, fight with blindfolds on at close uh-huh. range. And so he uses that to his advantage. Uh, Casanova Wong and his Kung Fu sister are left at the headquarters where they are fighting uh, Thunder, Pi and Iron Fist. Uh, and eventually two more henchmen come out with uh, the evil leader boss Mo and they kill the Kung Fu sister. And then Sammo shows up and has to help Casanova Wong, uh, fight the iron, uh, fist. And then the two henchmen, because by this point, Casanova Wong manages to kill, uh, Thunder Pie, mm-hmm. but boss Mo, the evil villain played by Fung Hark on, uh, one of my favorite roles of his as well. Yours. He's a classic Kung Fu cinema villain. Uh, oftentimes would play a really nasty, creepy rapist type character. And this one, he's playing an old man, just very old and decrepit. He's the leader of the gang. Well, in this scene, spoiler alert, we find out he's not old, baby. It's been a disguise the whole time and he takes it off. And he has this very pale white face makeup with red lips and he is a praying mantis master. And yes. oh, good God, is it creepy. They do a lot it, of- It is yeah. the best- best one of the best on-screen transformations you'll ever ever see you uh you, okay maybe face off where john travolta plays nick cage and nick play, play cage plays john travolta but like outside of that this is one of the best transformations of i've ever seen i've ever seen on uh, on film and how he just comes across as a praying mantis it's it's disgusting right so pretty much uh and I want to mention real quick the fight scene Sammo has with the two swordsman guards that kill his Kung yes. Fu sister. One of my favorite bits in Kung Fu cinema history, it's just so phenomenal. And when I was listening to the audio commentary, I believe it was Frank and Bobby that pointed out actually how that's just a set peaking opera routine that they're doing. But that's why it's so incredible because these three guys are all from, they were from different peaking operas because it was uh, uh, Mang Hoi. And then uh-huh. we actually have, Chin Yuet Sang coming back and playing one of these characters. He died earlier in the film as a good guy. Uh, and Sammo and just the way they move and the timing and rhythm. I've always wondered how the hell did they choreograph and do this? It's just so pitch perfect, but it doesn't look kind of slower and mundane like it would on the stage because they're able to choose their camera angles. They're obviously able to do more explosive bursts at a time. So that little bit right there is phenomenal. But then we have the finale where uh, Sammo has to face off against Dean Sheck, uh, uh-huh. uh, which is a comical. Now, and I've talked about Dean Sheck in the past and his roles are very hit or miss to me. This is one of those ones that hits. It works. It his, does. And that's a lot has to do with Sammo. So they have a great little comical fight scene because Dean Sheck is actually quite capable and he has a metal helmet on that is helping him. And then Casanova Wong is left to fight uh, uh, Boss Mo on his own. And, and, it, it, and is it, it for me, it almost looked like Dean Sheck was doing uh, foreshadowing what Sam ended up doing with uh, Yunhua and Eastern Condors. There's a like little a lot bit, of, yeah. Right? The, the claws. I the think claws. It's, just, it's kind of almost like this caricature that Dean Sheck became famous for in throughout yes. these films. Yunhua could almost be look, look, his character in Dragons Forever can almost be like an evolution of the sliminess of that character. He's obviously a lot more serious and hardcore, but it, even in style, like, you know, he's got yes. the thin, paper, the paper thin mustache, the glasses, the way he kind of moves like a snake, you know? and yep. uh, Sanui and stuff. Yeah, so that's a great uh, analysis it, right it, there. I love that. Well, so so, so there's there's that. And then, of course, you were, I, I cut you off because you were about to tell us about the Casanova Wong Fung Hak all oh, yeah. fight. So they start going at it and we there's some great wire work that helps accentuate the mantis-like element of Fung Hak and he's able to like lean over and defy gravity and you know he does some mantis strikes right at the beginning that gash across uh, Casanova Wong's face some some great little makeup because you see it it's like he's been cut with a knife it's a huge open gash and uh-huh. just the ferocity at which he fights uh, and you know the Casanova Wong 
character can barely keep up. Eventually, Sammo beats Dean Sheck. He joins him, and it's the two of them fighting against him. And once again, it's Sammo's insanely creative way of choreographing like three people in one fight going, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're both attacking uh, the boss Mo character played by Fung Harkon and just the rhythm, the timing, the choreography, the movement from the camera also and everything yep. is just so brilliant. And they eventually have to start using some of the more sneaky techniques they learn from their master in order to be- uh-huh. defeat him. And Sam will start sacrificing his body, like holding on to him, taking blows as Casanova Wong attacks him. And we also get to see Casanova Wong not only using the Wing Chun, but his kicking skills yep. and eventually they're able to you know, overpower him pretty much. They're yes. able to use their abilities of teaming up to beat him. And then at the Is- end we get now, and I, I listened to it on the audio commentary and I've, I've never been able to tell whether this kick is wire assisted or not, but it is one of the greatest kicks in Hong Kong cinema history. And from what I heard, or I was, you know, when I was watching the behind the scenes features and on the audio commentary, it's a real kick. Now, I think a lot of it just has to do with the way they cut into the scene. It's a slow motion kick where Casanova Wong does a jump flying back kick over a table into Fung Harkon's chest. And it was actually him taking the kick because in yes. his interview, he talked about how it hit him right in the throat the first take. But uh-huh. Now, when you watch it, I think the reason why it's hard to believe it's real is because they cut into it and it looks like he's just jumping off one foot. Now, in traditional Taekwondo, it'd be like a three step jump. Now, if you saw him running and jumping into it, I think it would you'd automatically be like, wow, that's real. It's just phenomenal. So that's why I do think it's real. Also, on top of that, he's shirtless. There's nowhere to hide the wire with these brand new Blu-rays. You can pause and I literally went slow motion trying to see any part of his pants being hiked up or anything. I think it's a real kick, but he gets insane air. Uh, you have I, I don't, to see this I don't, kick. I don't know how how high he gets. Like I don't know how high that table actually is. Yeah, but I've I've watched this kick time and time again. Not just this week, but like over the last few years when we did our top ten kickers list, uh, just over and over and over again. Long story short, like same as you, I can't see. Where there is a wire, I can't see how this is humanly possible, except at this one moment in time. Like it, it's just so well executed. And in the behind-the-scenes uh, featurette, Casanova Wong was talking about how at this point his Taekwondo was at its peak. He had just gone out of the Marines. He was in the most phenomenal shape in, of his life, and how that's how he was able to do a lot of the stuff in this film, but specifically that kick. And as I said, I think it's just a brilliant. Uh, editing job where they edit to the slow motion from the fast motion and you see him take off because it looks like he's just jumping off the one leg and getting insane air but I think what it probably was was a right foot step left foot step into that final right foot step that's where our slow motion cuts in and he jumps off that foot because when I as a kid was learning traditional taekwondo it was the three step one two three into the Uh jump kick and I think that's what he did and in other films we saw him do very similar kicks in the outdoors where it would have been impossible for them to have the like when wide angle shots with the uh, wire so he could pull it off and I think it's just also maybe the camera angle it might have been a slight tilt up just to make it look even higher so really it's one of the greatest kicks ever captured on screen well, you, you know, uh, you know, what's special about this film is everything. OK, that's the simple answer. But also like what we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago with the warrior's journey or the hero's journey. You know, we do have a hero's journey for Casanova Wong's character here. Uh, we have we have this perfectly balanced film that builds to this point and to this kick where it it just achieves something that you said is one of the greatest kicks in Hong Kong cinema history and by default that is one of the greatest kicks in cinema history yes it's just so phenomenally well executed but that that kick is built upon a film 
like the 89 minutes that came up that led up to this. And I would, I would certainly believe that this was shot not for one year straight, but over the duration of a year, I can see how they could take a break, come back, maybe work on other things. I don't know. Maybe it's shot all at once. Well, I think, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were also shooting. And then they said this in the behind the scenes features and stuff in South Korea. Now yeah. of one of the audio commentaries, they were claiming that, and that's what sets a lot of these golden harvest films apart from the Shaw brothers is it, they had this, uh, almost in my opinion, lifelike feel because they got to shoot outdoors. They got to shoot outside of the studios. Mm-hmm. Now, according to one of the audio commentaries, these shots were done in Taiwan. According to the other one, it's done in South Korea. From my personal research and from the architecture and stuff, I believe it's actually South Korea. Now, you may be saying, but AJ, all these buildings are of Chinese style and everything. And I've always wondered that too, especially with some of the Jackie Chan low wave films, which I knew specifically right. were shot in South Korea. But you look at all the architecture and it looks very Chinese. Now, there is a, and I did some research for this episode, there's a long history of the influence of Chinese architecture within South Korea. We're talking ancient times, like in the BCs, but then also more specifically, and I actually uh, screenshotted something real quick where it talks about, uh, let's see here. After the unification of the Korean Peninsula into the Kingdom of United Sila, Korean institutions were radically transformed. United Sila absorbed the fully matured culture of the Tang Dynasty in China and at the same time developed a unique cultural identity of its own. Uh, And so that's why a lot of these buildings, specifically like I was looking at some famous ones like the Iro Dong and so forth, they look just like the sets from Dragon Fist or the ones in Warriors 2. And even the signs on them may have had, you know, ancient Chinese text or they just made them for the films. But I believe that this one was probably shot in South Korea. Also based off the vegetation and forestry that you see, I did some research and because Taiwan is obviously a subtropical Island, I don't think they have some of the same sort of forest that we see in this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once again, I am not the most knowledgeable. It could have been partially shot in Taiwan as well. I'm just going off of what the cast said in the behind the scenes featurette. Well, uh, you know, when you texted me this week saying you want to do a traditional Kung Fu film, and I just like threw a couple at you with this one being like, could we dare take this on? Yeah. I love. And, and then of course, like I have my allergies slash cold or whatever this is. Uh, so I couldn't do like, I could only, all I could do is watch and enjoy and take some notes. It's like listening to is like listening to a masterclass of this film right now. And it is a, it is a film that deserves a masterclass approach, but it is also a film for any of our listeners who have, have not seen it, a totally enjoyable Kung Fu Samuel Hung ride. And to think that this is shot in 1978. And if we think about where, let's say end of the dragon released 1976 shot 73. In, through 73. Sorry. Yeah. 76, my birth year, of course. Right. <laughs> anyway. So. Anyway, uh, yeah, so 73. But if we think about where the progression is from fight choreography from 1973 to 1978, uh, it is, it's phenomenal to, to, to just it's, – it's night and day, really. I mean, it's uh, nothing disparaging anything that happened in 1973 compared to 78. But what Samo – you know, Samo was on that set in 78 – those film, those those moments in '73 are iconic and groundbreaking to us. And then this film, in the shadows of probably so many other films between eras, is just so well shot, so beautiful, so fantastic, highest caliber, five star. I would almost say like this. This almost feels like an indie film from one of the. That that's how I feel about it. It just feels like a feels like a great indie film in the era of the the great seventies kung fu films and the golden harvest era that came in the golden era of Hong Kong cinema in the eighties. Yeah, it was definitely a very interesting time with everything going on creativity wise. I mean, you had Leung Kar Lung doing uh, Thirty Six Chambers around that time. Jackie was doing his seasonal films you know, Drunken Master, Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. So there's a lot of incredible creativity going on and they obviously thrived off of each other and the competition and so forth. So yeah, that's pretty much Warriors 2 in a nutshell. We could go on talking about this film forever. And, you know, sorry if we missed any specific details that people want us to cover. Feel free to hit us up on social media. We love to chat about this film. Once again, Absolutely. you know, we couldn't go too far into the nuances of the actual Wing Chun system. We are not Wing Chun practitioners. Uh, if you want to listen to a great podcast that talks about Wing Chun... 
the Kung Fu Genius. Check it out. Absolutely. Uh, but so I guess uh, language corner time. The funny part is so this film is called Warriors 2, as in there's two of them and instead of two warriors, Warriors 2. Uh, but the Chinese title, people always, you know, jokingly talk about. Well, in Cantonese, I, I can't say it because I don't speak Cantonese. But in, in Mandarin, it's uh, so it's Mr. Zan and money exchanger Hua. <laughs> so, uh, like, uh, so like Don, cashier. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Don is the, the, the Mandarin name for Liang John, John. So Don, his surname, uh, Xiansheng is just Mr. And then you is a way to say, and like, typically I say, he, but uh, in this case they're using you. And then, uh, Zhao Tian, uh, so is to give change, not to, uh, change money, uh, Hua. So that being said, I thought for Language Corner, I would actually teach us something very helpful for anybody that's in China. And that's uh, how to say to exchange money. So in other words, to oh, nice. change your U.S. dollars. to So not to get change like uh, in this yeah. case, like, but to actually exchange, exchange. your U.S. dollars to Chinese yeah. dollars, which is hard to do because it's not like you, you'd expect, oh, yeah, every bank does it. No, not at all. You have to go to actual like money changing mm-hmm. places. So it's quite easy. It's Huan Tian. One more time. Huan Tian. Huan Tian. Tian Tian. Q I A N. Tian. Tian. Yeah. Huan Tian. 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 Yeah. Tian. Exactly. Not Je. Tian. 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 Huan. Huan Tian. Much better. There we go. Yeah. So. Huan Tian. Huan Oh, well, more or less that, hey, yeah, you got it. Like, so saying, well, change money where? But like, so what I would say is, you know, if you're specifically looking at like in Shanghai, I knew exactly where it was. Uh, it was across the street from where Jessica worked, actually. But uh, I mean, you could say something as basic as uh, like the, the the money changing places where. Right. Like, I, I, I'm i sure there's probably an official title. But like, for example, the one I went to wasn't it was a little booth like mm-hmm. in downtown Shanghai that you went to and exchanged money and you got the best rate there too because a lot of times banks will do them but the rate is crappy just like every airport does it never change your money in the airport people never do it corner travel corner never change your money never change don't and like if it's your first time going to china you think oh this is gonna be easy no look it up beforehand and figure out where to go because it will save you that much money so there you go nice nice so So you have to exchange money I want to say that this this podcast opened up with the first two chapters of AJ's self-help book. Chapter <laughs> one, do not think you can drink your coffee from the morning, rewarmed in the afternoon. Number two, do not exchange money at the airport. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and you, you know, obviously probably you'll have someone to help you, but you know, there's lots of different ways you can ask, like, you know, your, your friends to where I can go change money, uh, well, uh, you know, like you already said, Zainar, but what's Zainali Huanqian? Like, where can I go exchange money? You know, there's the, once again, I'm not the, the, the Chinese language expert, but I learned enough to survive. There you go. There we That's go. That's the title of the book, by the way. Yeah, I learned enough to survive. The The other one we had for our time as expats with my, my best mate, Simon, my former roommate, and my best mate who lives in Hong Kong was, uh, it's too damn hot for underwear. Oh, so, but, uh, yeah, both good titles. Maybe that'll be his, uh, memoirs and then mine will be the self-help book. Yeah. Okay. My man, uh, any final closing thoughts? Uh, enjoy this film. Enjoy this week. It was a great film to watch and, uh, reboost my immune system too. There you go. All right, my man, I will be seeing you soon. Take care. Peace.